Sit tight, take hold. A Good Omens Podfic, written by Needed and read by Literarian and Jub. Part 1 of the Hashtag Rainbow Road series. Chapter 8 Maybreak, London. Summary In which the boys go back to London and we absolutely earn the E rating. Crowley wakes up in an unfamiliar bed to the sound of rain and something scratching the other side of his door. It takes him a moment to orient himself. How many nights has he spent in hotels across 30 different countries? But this room doesn't look like a hotel, the quilt heavy and clearly handmade and the weather distinctly English. The pawing gets louder, accompanied by a whine, and he puts the pieces together. He's at Ezira's. No, his mum's, which might be worse. Then he remembers the desperate wank he had the night before, face buried in the crook of his elbow, arm thrown over his face. He'd dragged his thumb over the head of his cock while replaying the flushed look on Izira's face as they drove in his car, the way he smelled like sage and eucalyptus when they leaned against each other in the booth, close enough to touch and touch and touch, and he came with a stifled groan, hot with shame and desire. He groans and throws his head back, squinting even though the clouds are out. Fuck, he says, realizing he left his glasses on the island downstairs. Throwing the covers back, his bare feet hit the hardwood floor as he stands up in just his boxes. He goes through his morning stretches, starting with his stiff shoulder and then opens the bedroom door to find Sarah's waiting, wagging happily. She stands up and puts her feet on his bare shin, her nails digging into his skin. Where's Ezira, huh? he asks her. He bends down and picks her up. She's small and wiggly and extremely scoopable. Is he in the shower? He left you out here all alone. The bathroom door is shut and he can hear the sound of running water. Hedging his bets, he skips down the steps to retrieve his glasses, Sarah's tucked under his arm, and then rummages through the cupboards until he finds a cup. He fills it to the brim from the tap and downs it in one go clearing some of the bleariness before going for a second glass. What am I doing? he asks, looking down at himself, standing in his pants in the kitchen of the man he said he wouldn't fall in love with. That's a good question, a low voice says behind him. He whirls around to find Ezira staring at him, flushed from his hot shower with a perplexed expression. 
What are you doing? Under his arm, Sarah's yips and wiggles until Crowley sets her free and she goes bounding over to Ezira, who's dressed in a pair of khakis and a polo. Crowley is overly fond when she chews on his socks and bites his toes, and all Ezira does is sigh. Honestly, I'm calculating how long I'll make it before giving in and snogging you, he tells him. Ezira's face grows hot, visibly brightening. He presses his lips together in surprise. I know we agreed not to end all, but if it happens, can it be in the car? Crowley chokes on his water and wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. He puts on his best forlorn expression. Sadly, I don't think I could reach you over the center console. Well, I guess that's why it's a fantasy. Ezira says, shaking his head. They lock eyes for a moment, before both looking away. Anyway, I just need to get Sarah's things together and then I'll be ready to go. Great. You should probably get dressed. Right. Crowley re-emerges from the upstairs in yesterday's clothes, looking a little more refreshed after washing his face. His hair sticks up in the back from where he slept, his hen lay rumpled, and he looks and feels a little worn around the edges. All right, we'll have to bring some of the stuff up to the front seat, I think. Might be a tight squeeze, he says, leading them outside. He opens the boot, which lives under the front hood, and Ezira laughs. The storage space is maybe two feet long and six inches wide. You can fit a box of chocolates in that thing, and that's about it. Instead, Ezira manages to shove the soft crate under the passenger seat, wad it up in a ball, and sets his backpack on the floor. Wanna drive? Wait, really? You're not afraid I'll crash it? You're a professional driver, aren't you? Ezira grins, impish and bright. I'm a professional race car driver. Oh, right, my mistake, Crowley says, making to pocket the keys. What a terrible idea letting you sit behind the wheel of a LaFerrari. No, 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 I'll drive. I can drive. Ezira reaches a hand out over the roof. Gimme, but you'll have to hang on to this monster. He holds up Ceres. They cross sides of the car and Crowley takes the beagle. She goes surprisingly limp in his arms, content to be cuddled. She's not going to wee, is she? Ezira slides into the driver's seat and wiggles, followed by a slow release of breath. He flexes his fingers and runs his hands up and down the steering wheel. We might need to stop somewhere along the way for her, but that's all on you. I am never getting out of this car again.
better tell Team Geo you're done for the season. Dear Gabriel, I regret to inform you of my resignation. I have fully converted to the house of Ferrari and have devoted all my time to worship. He doesn't take his eyes off the dash. Then he turns the key and the engine roars to life. He lets out a happy, sensational noise. Did you just squeal? I have no control over my body right now. He steps on the gas and drops the clutch, shouting as they speed out the gravel driveway onto the road. Something about the engine's persistent rumble lulls Sarah's to sleep on the drive up to London. Crowley, who has mostly been curious about small things like kittens and babies, has never actually held something so tiny before for more than a minute. He rotates between staring wide-eyed at her and glancing at his era, who has absolutely no interest in anything other than barreling up the A24 as fast as possible. They zip past traffic with ease on a blissful, foggy Wednesday morning. Then Crowley makes Ezira pull over halfway to swap before getting into London. You don't trust me? Ezira says, almost pouting. Crowley's torn between feeling fond and worrying over the state of his multi-million dollar car. How often do you drive in London? I hate it. Exactly. But I could learn to love it in a car like this. Crowley reaches out his hand expectantly. Keys. Now. They get a few curious stares at the petrol station as they argue about driving, Sarah's weaving between their feet. Ezira gives one last longing pat to the wheel before relinquishing control. But I can drive it on the way back, right? When Crowley doesn't respond right away, he gives his best Crowley impression with a touch of snobbishness in his voice. Obviously, Ezira, anything for you. Crowley fights the smile on his face, and then looks at him before turning over the engine. Obviously. Crowley's flat is a lot. It's a huge space with square footage to rival the cottage decked out in cool gunmetal grey tile. The living area and kitchen have an open floor plan and his era's eyes are immediately drawn to the floating shelves on the wall lined with trophies. He stares at the World Championship Cup, an enormous gilded vessel, hesitating to touch it. Can I? Go ahead. He picks it up. It's heavy and he needs two hands to get a proper grasp. Wow, 
he says with reverence. His own wall back in his flat in Greece has all of his F2 and other tourney trophies, but it's nothing compared to this. He won't admit to memorizing all of Anthony fucking Crowley's stats, but he counts the trophies just to verify that, yes, there are 15 Grand Prix trophies lined up in a row. You're too good to put your second and third place finishes on the wall, huh? Crowley smirks and rubs the back of his neck. <laughs> There's too many. Where would they go? The other thing that becomes apparent to Ezira is that Crowley's flat is empty. It doesn't feel like a place to go to recharge in between flying around the world. It feels like another meticulously designed accessory for Crowley's professional image, a person who is slick and rich and a bit of a bad boy. The real Anthony Crowley stands in his own flat, looking awkward in a faded henley, worn-in skinny jeans and an old, obviously well-loved pair of snakeskin boots, the red stitching coming apart at the heel. He looks at him. What's your favorite thing about your place? Crowley makes a face and runs his tongue over his molars. Dunno, it has a nice big kitchen I never use. It's catalogue worthy, but that's not what I meant. Okay, he says with a frown. What do you mean then? Well... For instance, my flat in Greece is about 600 square feet and the very best feature is that I have a poster on the wall from the British Grand Prix from 2001. It's moved with me wherever I've lived. Crowley's smile is fond, if a little confused, like he's not sure exactly what Ezira's getting at. How old were you? I was four. My uncle took me when I was visiting over summer break and I remember it being the most exciting day of my life. That's what made me want to be a driver. So what? Crowley asks, rocking on his feet. You want to know my origin story? I want to know what makes this place home for you. Maybe Ezira is pushing a little, but how often will he be able to say he stood in Crowley's flat? Ten or twenty years from now, will he be able to tell anyone the story of how he fell in love with him for the summer? He feels inexorably greedy now that they're alone. Sarah's has torn off down the hall looking for mischief. They can hear her little paws clicking on the tile, her nose sniffing along the perimeter of the hall. Crowley looks off in her direction, lost for a moment, before he sighs, some decision made in his head. Ah, can I show you something? he asks. He leads him down the hall and pushes a wall panel that swings open into a revolving door. Ezira nods, his voice a little sarcastic and teasing. 
very nice, very pretentious. Shush. The door leads them into a large master bedroom where the bed is clearly the centerpiece, decked out in a black duvet and maroon sheets underneath. Izira knows without touching them that they're luxuriously expensive. The other feature, however, is the floor-to-ceiling windows and a patio door that leads out to a bare balcony. The view isn't particularly spectacular. From a distance, if he cranes his neck over the railing, he can see a peak of Hyde Park, but then Crowley pulls down an old rickety fire escape ladder and gestures for him to follow. When Ezira reaches the rooftop, he stares wide-eyed. This is yours. I pay a premium for roof access. That he can believe. What surprises him is the beautiful bamboo bench boxed in by three long wooden planters overflowing with greenery. You have a garden, he says in awe. Crowley shrugs, a little uncomfortable. He brushes it off. Sort of. I don't tend to it because I'm hardly here. I hire someone to come in and take care of it. Then, with a small glimmer of pride, he adds, But I designed it and selected the plants. They're all annuals, so next year I'll do it all over again. A garden, Izira says again. He leans over and brushes his fingers over the soft petals of a lavender flower that sprouts upward like a spear. What's this? Purple salvia. And this? He rubs his fingers over an aromatic green leaf, bursting with a sweet fragrance. Crowley reaches over and plucks a leaf and an unfurling red flower from the plant and pops it in his mouth. Pineapple sage, he says, before selecting another leaf and handing it to Ezira. It's a bit different than the stuff you buy in the grocery store. Ezira takes it and chews it carefully, eyes widening in surprise at how sweet it is. Crowley pats the bench and gestures for him to sit down. He leans over conspiratorially. You can't tell anyone about this. It'd be terrible for my reputation. Even though Ezira knows he's teasing, he says, You're nothing like your reputation. You're better. Crowley looks back in surprise, eyes widening behind his glasses. In ten, fifteen years from now, who knows what they'll say about the infamous A.J. Crowley, but Ezira will take this to his grave if he can have more of this, more quiet moments in the mist sitting next to this very real, tangible human being who leaves him breathless and full of want. He leans over and kisses him.
Crowley's lips are chapped, his skin damp from the rain, and he lets out a surprised throaty moan before giving into it. He tastes faintly sweet, like pineapple, and his fingers find their way up to tangle in Izira's riotous curls, his large, calloused hands cupping the swell of his head. The heat of his body, compared to the dreary weather, sends shivers down Ezira's arms, goose flesh rising, leaving him breathless and a little light-headed when he pulls back. Crowley looks up, surprised, his parted mouth a fetching red where Ezira had tugged with his teeth. He makes an incomprehensible noise, stuck in his throat, and then leans in once more to press a careful, cautious kiss to Ezira's mouth. He moves to the corner of his mouth and kisses him, and then once more on his jaw, before trailing down his throat. Each press of lips leaves Ezira's skin tingling, and he brings his hands up to run through those locks of red hair, fingers clenching around the fine strands when Crowley nips behind his ear. The reaction is immediate. Crowley's hips buck in an aborted thrust, breath stuttering against Ezira's skin. He does it again, tugging a little harder this time, and Crowley's entire body rolls with pleasure, a soft, helpless sound pressed into Ezira's neck. They separate, glossy-eyed and out of breath. Ezira shifts uncomfortably, resisting the urge to press the heel of his palm to his groin in search of some relief. Crowley's eyes catch the movement and wander downward before he visibly drags himself up again like a man fighting being possessed. Oh, Ezira says, at a loss. His whole body feels hot and cold in waves, like he's sick with a fever and Crowley's mouth is the only thing that could soothe him. We said we wouldn't. Yeah, I think we're failing spectacularly at that. Then his face shutters and his shoulders tense. I meant it, though, when I said I don't want to drag you into this. My life is a mess. If I can't protect you in any form at all from that, I will. What if... Ezira says, straining to focus beyond his racing heart. What if we have this now for the week? I want you, and if this is the only way we can do this, I'll take it. That's a dangerous game to play, Crowley says, his mouth in a grim line. Would you be able to stop? Ezira fidgets with the cuffs of his sleeves. He knows the answer. Could he stop wanting him? 
They kissed once two months ago and he's been hooked ever since on each teasing smile and flirty comment, every text message alert and not from the other side of the press table. The feel of Crowley's mouth against his neck will haunt him every night regardless. We just need to get it out of our system and then we'll be fine. All right, Crowley nods, but the way he swallows suggests he doesn't believe Ezira or himself. Come downstairs before I change my mind. Crowley slides open the patio doors, a heaviness to his limbs like wading through water. The only thing on his mind is Ezira behind him holding his hand, sure and firm. He stops in the doorframe. Ezira knocking into his shoulder, baffled when he says, I'm sorry, we can't have sex. Wait, what? It takes all of Crowley's willpower to suppress the rising affection bubbling out of him. He wants to laugh and kiss the confused look off of his face. Instead, he shakes his head. Your dog is on the bed. Ezira peers over his shoulder. Sure enough, Ceres has bunched the comforter to her liking and curled up in a tight little ball. She wags but makes no motion to move. She's not my dog, he says, indignant, pushing past Crowley. He scoops her up and dumps her on the floor. Then he turns and grabs Crowley and mercilessly shoves him on the bed. Crowley, glasses askew, can't find it in himself to feel sorry for the pup, not after the surprising display of strength. His throat clicks, dry, open-mouthed, as he works for any semblance of a sentence. Close the blinds, will you? Ezira exits out of the room and returns with the soft crate, popping it open before shooing Ceres inside. He stops to pet her, apologetic, and then pulls the dark, heavy blinds across the patio door. By the time he turns around, Crowley has his glasses and shirt off and is in the process of wriggling out of inexplicably tight, skinny jeans. The sound he makes is a low, throaty exhale, the vision of Crowley disrobing, punching the air out of his lungs. He shucks his shirt off and kicks his shoes to the corner, hopping on one foot to free himself from his khakis, and the entire time Crowley watches him, utterly and hopelessly aroused. Once they're both stripped to their boxes, Crowley scoots to the edge of the bed and beckons him closer running his hand up his torso, the soft belly and firm muscle underneath, across the smattering of invisible hair leading to the V of his hips. He leaves goose flesh in his wake, 
followed by kisses with his mouth, savoring the way Azira's stomach expands and dips with each deepening breath. Taking his wrists, Crowley pulls Azira down on top of him, sinking under the solid weight, reveling in the smell of his eucalyptus bath soap and the salt of his skin. He can taste his sweat and groans when Azira's erection drags wetly across his thigh through his boxers. He can't decide if he wants to draw this out, take his time memorizing every plane and curve of his body, or rut mindlessly in search of some relief from the last two months. But then they slot together, and Ezira leans down, closing his mouth over his own, and his mind goes blissfully blank, committed solely to the press of plush lips and wet tongue, eking out more of those soft, breathless moans. He drags his hands over the swell of Ezira's ass and then reaches upward again to thumb the waistband of his boxers. Ezira collapses his weight down on one shoulder, kicking his boxers off, a full-body shudder coursing through him when he's taken in hand. The sight of him rolling with pleasure brings Crowley to the edge. Fuck, he hisses, reaching down to squeeze the base of his cock, groaning from the pressure. He works his boxers off as best he can, pinned under Ezira. You are something else, just... His voice comes out reedy and thin, breathless, his whole core wound tight. Angel... He feels like he's bloody 16 again in the back of a Kayla Akana's WRX the night he won at Silverstone, just a junior driver with three shots of whiskey in him and a hand down his overalls. He's lived a life of champagne bubbles and crystal chandeliers, and nothing has ever made him feel so desired as the feel of Ezira's fingers shaking as they skim down his chest. He brings one hand up to his mouth and kisses his palm, pressing his nose against the curve of his fingers. It's here, in the creases of Ezira's palms, that his desire settles, a simmering burn instead of a boiling volcano. He pushes upward, guiding Ezira onto his knees, resting on his heels, and then he rolls them over until he's on top, a long stretch of sinew and arousal seeping from his skin. Ezira looks up at him with hooded eyes. His cupid bow lips part, taking in shallow breaths, and Crowley leans down and swipes his tongue along the seam of his lips, teasing the corner of his mouth. He holds his hips down with his own and lets him rut upwards, meeting his pace with a roll of his hips. 
Aziraph throws his head back against the pillows, his white blonde curls a spill against the black sheets. Crowley's voice comes out low in the crook of Aziraph's neck, breath hot against his ear. I could do this forever, he says, nipping at the earlobe, tasting salt and sex. Their frottage leaves him chivalry and in desperate need of firmer pressure, his head gone light-headed. I take it back. I can't just have you for one night. Izira drags his hand upwards and buries it in his hair, sending sparks down Crowley's spine. His voice is rough, low and hoarse. Tomorrow then, and the night after. It makes him moan. It's just a fantasy. In two nights' time, Izira will be back in the cottage and Crowley will be packing for his flight back to Renault's headquarters in France. He'll play this over and over when he's alone, the feel of sweat between them and the soreness of deep bruises on his shoulder, his hips, any place that Izira can grab purchase. He'll say the words into the crook of his elbow, the things he cannot say out loud now because it's too soon and not enough to make up for all his flaws and destruction. Crowley has never said I love you without it leading to ruin, so he won't say it now in the most perfect space, a place he commits to memory with every thrust and wet kiss. Izira's hips stutter, losing their rhythm. Crowley reaches down to circle his fist around his cock, pulling him in long strokes. He keeps his eyes open, starved, as he guides Izira through his orgasm, watching as his belly tightens and bows before releasing in shivery pulses across his stomach. Then he turns his attention to his own aching arousal, pulled taut against his belly, his hands slick with cum. Izira beckons him down again and kisses him through his climax, and his orgasm leaves him weak, cock spilling across Izira's chest, hips jolting forward mindlessly in search of one last ring of pleasure. When it's over, he collapses onto him, panting. Their harsh breathing slows and the whole room comes back into focus. The realization dawning on Crowley that he's been ruined for anyone else. He might be able to walk away after one or two days of this incandescent bliss, but everything after will look bleak. He buries his nose in Ezira's curls, dragging his arms down his side and under his waist, squeezing tightly as Ezira's arms wrap around the broadest stretch of his back, one hand cupping his neck. He holds on and on and on until he falls asleep, sweat-stained, 
and heart heavy.